were talking about how Jesus had a message for the seven churches uh, in the book of Revelation. And we learned that uh, he was speaking to them specifically, but he also tagged each, uh, each letter with this line that anyone who has ears to hear. So like anyone who's reading this and earlier on in the letter um, in the beginning, in, in, in the first chapter, he mentions that anyone who hears and obeys is, will be blessed. And that, and that was this, um, thought that we talked about last week, that we would have ears to hear what he's saying, because that, that could be you and that could be me, what he's saying to the churches today. Uh, and then it also said this other word, whoever, whoever overcomes or whoever holds on to their faith, you know, no matter what comes their way, they'd be the ones who are victorious in the end and who receive the promises. And again, I want that to be me and, and, and I want that to be you. I want that to be us, the ones who no matter what happened in life, we held on to and trusted in Christ uh, no matter what. And so uh, I wanted to um, I wanted to jump in again today to, to look at more specifically what Jesus was saying to that gathering of churches and uh, what it could mean for us uh, as well today. And I encourage you to have your ear open to his voice. So Jesus, um, he gave some commandments to each of the, the, these uh, churches and he gave some commendations, some things of, hey, here's what you're doing well. And ah, here's a few things I, I, I need you to work on. I need you to uh, uh, look at in your life and adjust. And, you know, I realized that a lot of the messages that he gave in that day and age weren't just for that day and age. It's like those warnings could carry over from generation to generation to generation. Uh, as a parent, I kind of uh, have experienced that myself. I, I hear myself telling my children, you know, things that my parents told me when I was a kid, like some of the warnings, like, you know, you know, don't play with the fire. You're going to get burned. You know, and I learned that as a child, you know, the literal things of the, the fire being hot. But, you know, we use that term figurative, figuratively as well, where we talk about different, you know, relational situations. You know, don't get too close to the fire. You know, different temptations. Don't get too close to the fire. You will get burned. And, and I realized that, you know, that, that's probably gone all the way, you know, from from uh, way back when, when they're sitting around their fires then, hey, you know, don't, don't be too close to the fire, you're, you're going to get burned. And that still holds true today. You know, warnings um, as well, like, you know, don't get in a vehicle with strangers. I was thinking that probably went way back as well, you know, like, hey, don't get in that Model T with a stranger or, you know, don't get into that uh, horse and buggy with a stranger. Don't ride off in the sunset on that donkey with a stranger. You know, I could hear parents saying that all the way through. And, and I, I would trust that as my children grow up and have children of their own, that they would pass on some of these warnings as well to their own kids. But I also think of the commendations. You know, I think those things where my parents at times in my life, you know, my dad would say, son, I'm so proud of you. And it's amazing what that does to a, to a young person. I, and I encourage you as parents to remind your children of when you are proud of them. And, and hearing that, that, that opportunity to share that with my own children and see that, you know, those commendations, those warnings, they don't really have an age limit on them. That they're, they're, The power that they had way back when, they still hold that today. Because I don't think humanity has really changed all that much. The same, the same uh, things that people had back then are the things they have today. And that's why as we look at the letters, that we realize that what Jesus talked about back then, that those things still apply today and maybe even more so in some in some cases they 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 apply to us and so we want to take a look at that you know um john was giving um i guess jesus you know a report card for the churches and he actually starts by writing the first letter to to the church of ephesus and john actually at one point you know we know from acts that paul was the one who planted that church but from the traditions we we know that john was actually a pastor of that church about 14 years after it started and maybe he's looking back and thinking, oh, I remember those guys, you know, and Jesus is telling him, okay, John, 
Here's what I want you to tell them. Here's the report card on how they've been doing since you've been there. And so we read in Revelation chapter 2, verse 1. He says, write this letter. Write this letter to the angel or to the messenger or to the pastor of the church in Ephesus. This is the message from the one who holds the seven stars in his right hand. The one who walks among the seven golden lampstands. You know, as we look at each of the letters uh, over the next couple of weeks, um, you'll see that, that Jesus reminds the hearer or the reader who's speaking to them. It's not John. It's Jesus. It's, it's the, the vision that John had of Jesus. He, he um, continually goes back to that to remind them, this is, this is Jesus speaking to you. And I pray that as we listen today, that's whose voice we hear as well. You know, in the reminder to the church of Ephesus went like this, Revelation chapter 2, verse 2. It begins with this. He says, I know all the things you do. And as I read that, I just stopped on those words. I know all. I know all. I know everything. I know everything you do. That wasn't just true for the church in Ephesus. That's true for you and me as individuals today. And we see it throughout scripture. The one who knows everything. You know, as I thought about it, it would be like, you know, trying to tell God a joke. It would just be impossible, right? Like, hey, did you hear the one about the chicken? Yes. Okay, well, what about, did you hear the one about like the the elephant and the monkey? Yes. Oh, did you hear the one about? Yes. Uh, Okay. You know, we really can't tell him one of those jokes, but, you know, I think sometimes we do that with prayer too. God, don't you know what's going on in the world? Hey, God, can't you see? And he's like, yeah, yeah, I know. (laughs) I already know. I already know everything. I think sometimes we uh, forget just how big God is or how powerful he is. We look at situations and think, oh, everything must be out of control. He's like, no, no, I know. I know. I know all. I know everything. And I know everything about you. You know, as I read Psalm 139, the psalmist writes this, Oh, Lord, you've examined my heart and you know everything about me. He goes on to write about, you know, when I get up in the morning, you know, when I sit down, you know, my thoughts. God, you know the words I'm going to speak even before I speak. them. You truly know everything. And you're everywhere. There's nowhere that I can go. He says, if I, if I make my bed in the depths, you're there. If I climb to the highest mountains, you're there. You're everywhere. You always are. And as he continues on, he writes just one thing after another. You know, I thought about that thought that, you know, for somebody to know everything about something, they have to be pretty interested in it. I had Zane over earlier, and is that guy, he just knows everything about plants. And, and I realized that he must have spent a lot of time learning about these plants because he was interested in them. My friend Bruce, he knows so much about cars. I text him a question, he's like, boom, he comes back with his answer. He's like, oh, I never thought of that before. But his interest in it just has allowed him to, to know, well, in my opinion, everything about cars. If you know Chris Stone and his love for music and his love for guitars, and it's like you ask him a question. Sometimes you don't even have to ask. He just mentions, drops a little, uh, you know, information bomb on you of, of uh, things that he knows about music and songs. And like, it's, I've never, I send him a song sometimes like, hey, have you heard this? He's like, yeah, I've heard that like 15 years ago or whatever, right? Or that, yeah, I thought it was a brand new worship song. He's like, oh no, that came out three years ago from this group. And it was at this conference where they first played. I'm like, how does he know? How does he know? Because of his interest. His interest is like he knows everything about it. And I mean, I know that they don't know everything. But when I think about that, God does know everything about you. That he is that interested in us. What a thought. 
What a thought. And it's not just my own. As I read through Psalm 139, I realized the psalmist realized it as well. In verse 17, he says this, how precious are your thoughts about me, O God? How precious are they? They can't be numbered. I can't even count them. They outnumber the grains of sand. And when I wake up, you're still with me, he says. It's like those thoughts. Man, how precious they are. The thoughts that God has about us. (laughs) That thought that even when I'm sleeping, he hasn't abandoned me. And what a comfort that comes from him. As I read through Corinthians right now with our read through the Bible, and just see the, 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 the commonality between these two things. Early in 2 Corinthians, Paul just talks about the God of comfort. He's the source of all comfort. May he comfort you. When you're going through difficult things, may he comfort you so that you may be able to comfort others. What, a, what, a, what an incredible thing. You know, I think about the psalmist in Psalm 8. He just simply says, who are, who are we even? That the God of the universe would even be mindful of us, let alone care about us. It's, it's just incredible. You know, I encourage you just to kind of rest in that thought for a little bit. That this is who is speaking to the church then. This is the one speaking to us. The one who knows all. The one who knows all. And the one who knows all gives this church just this, this good report card. You know, I think, you know, when I was a kid getting report cards, I always like, you know, hey, take this sealed envelope home to your parents and don't open it. You don't get to see what was in it. But this report card, you know, John's writing it and Jesus is writing it to all the churches and they basically get to see everyone else's report card. You know, it's like the big kids on the back of the bus when I was when I was in grade school. They would open theirs anyways. I was like, how dare they? You know, oldest child trying to obey all the rules. Uh, but they would open, they would compare all their report cards. Well, that's what's happening here. And he starts out with the Ephesians and gives them this, these, this good report. You know, a bunch of B's and B pluses and A's. And here's what he says. I know all the things you do. I know all your deeds. He says, I've seen your hard work, seen your patient endurance. I know you don't tolerate evil people. You've examined those who claim to be apostles and, uh, and who are not. And you've discovered that they're liars. You've patiently suffered for me without quitting. You know, he goes over these things. He's like, hey, first on the list, I've seen your hard work. I've seen your good deeds. B plus, guys. You know, it's just, I've seen your patient endurance because not just with the good deeds, but I've seen your troubles and that you've patiently endured them. You know, we're giving you an A for that. He says, you know, you've um, kept on going even when it got tough. <laughs> we're giving you an A for that. You know, Paul, um, Paul actually tells the, the Corinthians about his time in Ephesus. He's actually in Ephesus as he writes to the Corinthians. And if you just go over to 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse 9, you would read this. He's like, Paul says, there's a wide open door for a great work here in Ephesus. He says, but although many oppose me, he's like, man, like everything's against me. Now, lots of people are against me. But he says, but there's a great opportunity here. There is a great opportunity for a great work. God's kingdom at work in this place. And so he encourages the Corinthians just a few short verses later that when they're facing troubles just to, to, to be strong. He actually says to them in, in uh, verse 13 and 14, be on guard. He's like, stand firm in your faith. Be courageous. Be strong and do everything in love. You know, as I was reading that, uh, uh, looking at the different words in there, he says, you know, that, that be courageous. It's, that, they translated it, be courageous. But the literal translation is act like men. Act like men and be courageous. And I wonder if they had to change that, you know, that as culture has, has you know, caused men to, to not be as uh, courageous as they could and should be. That, you know, they, they, they uh, so often 
we can have those opportunities or feelings on the inside of being, you know, uh, uh, belittled just simply for being male. That in our culture, we've, you know, taken the backseat oftentimes and, and not stood up for, for things that we should have, not stood up for people. You know, become uh, a little bit more cowardice in the times where it requires bravery and requires courage. You know, I can be one of those guys sometimes. And here's what but, but Paul was saying, you know, be courageous. And c- courage isn't the absence of fear. He's like, when there's this tough things coming against you, when things are opposing you, he's like, that's the time to be courageous, to be, to be brave, even, even though you're terrified on the inside, even though you're faced with fear, face it in return with courage and with bravery. You know, the, Jesus was commending the Ephesian church for doing just that. It's like, man, you guys, you guys are courageous. You know, you, you've had lots of things come against you, but he says, you haven't quit. You haven't given up. And he gives them that, that, that mark of approval for it. And I, I believe that, you know, Jesus, he, he hasn't changed. The things that he loved back then, he loves today. The things that he commends back then, he commends today. Things he hated back then, he hates today. And those are some strong words, but think about this. He encourages them for standing firm. And then he goes on to say this. He's like, you don't tolerate evil people. He gives them a mark of commendation for that. You don't tolerate evil people. You know, I wonder what Jesus would say to our generation. We, we live in a, in a culture right now where tolerance is like the supreme virtue. <laughs> you know, tolerate everybody, tolerate everything. And it sounds like a virtue. It does. But to be honest, it's a pseudo virtue. It's one of those virtues that you can't pull. You can't go too far with or otherwise it actually corrupts. You know, our generation um, wants to actually even say that Jesus was about tolerance, the message that love equals tolerance, and tolerance is love. And if you're not tolerant, you're not loving. And it's just not true. And it's not what Jesus would say. It's not what Jesus would say. What what, what would he say? You know, that tolerance of individuals and tolerances of differences, that's a good that's a good virtue in tolerance. You know, where we tolerate the difference of you know of race or of or of gender, um, the two genders, you know, of, of age, of opinion that we would tolerate the differences. There's a tolerance there for that. that. That makes sense. But when that tolerance leads to acceptance of evil, it actually leads us down a, a, a slippery slope that a few recover from because you continue to tolerate and tolerate and tolerate until you tolerate evil people who do evil things as a result, things you never wanted, but it was because of tolerance. You know, Hutton Gibson is actually Mel Gibson's father. He wrote these words. He's like, tolerance is the last virtue of a depraved society. When an immoral society has blatantly and proudly violated all of the commandments, it insists upon one last virtue, tolerance for its immorality. It will not tolerate condemnation of its perversions, and it creates a whole new world in which only the intolerant critic of intolerable evil is evil. I'm like, wow, that is a loaded statement. But I think if we're honest, we can see the truth in that statement. That only the people who are intolerant are the ones who don't tolerate the evil going on in the world. And Jesus commended them for not being tolerant of evil. He commended them. What would he say to us? You know, Revelation 2 verse 6, he actually goes on and we just skipped ahead a couple verses, but we'll come back. He says this, but you have this in your favor. And he, he kind of, he adds this thing to, to the list. He says, you hate the evil deeds of the Nic- Nicolaitans just as I do. 
man, hate is like a strong word. It's actually the word detest. He's like, you detest the deeds of the, of the Nicolaitans. And it, this was meant to be. And he says, and you know what? I hate it too. I hate those deeds too. You know, the Nicolaitans were a group of people in the church. They were in the church. So we need to be careful with that, that we're not, you know, looking at people outside of the church. But he's saying inside the church, you've got people who, who their, their doctrine allows them to live sexually immoral, who, um, uh, who participate in the worship of idols as well as the worship of God. There's such a blend to their, to their faith journey. And he's like, I'm not okay with that. And he says, I'm actually, I'm actually proud of you guys that you're not okay with that. A plus to the group in Ephesus. But we, we see that in the church today. We don't, we don't have Nicolaitans. We don't have, you know, this group that's wandering around. They, they were the followers of a guy named Nicholas who had this kind of um, thing. And you can look that up. It mentions that we may talk about it again uh, when we talk about Pergamum. But he, he, uh, he says that those kind, their, their belief system, we see the effects of that in the church today. We do. We, we see this, this pushing of, um, of uh, uh, I guess, maybe a major shift away from what God ordained marriage to be. One man, one woman in marriage. That's what sexuality was all about. And we see, we, even with the church, this acceptance, this tolerance of things that pushes us further and further away from that. You know, with the Nicolaitans as well, you know, that, that idea that, oh, love is love. You know, we see that too, where there's, there's this push that just, we need to accept that whatever the love is, it's love. We need to be loving and accept that. And that was one of the things that Jesus said, that's, that, 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 that deed of the Nicolaitans is something that I hate. Man, what a strong word. And we'll look at it in a minute. But he says too, you know, the, the worshiping of the, the, the gods of this world. And we see that today in churches too. We see that trying to creep into the church that not just the worship, the trust in, in our God and in, in Jesus Christ, but this worship of other things as well. The gods of this world, I would call it, you know, money, that that pursuit of, of all of the, the things that we can get is always vying for our attention. You know, the worship of, of stuff, of, of convenience, of comfort, that my life would be comfortable and, and I, I'll go, I'll bend whatever corners or things I need to do to stay out of like sticky situations or things that feel uncomfortable. You know, the God of science where I'll just trust science over, over trusting Christ. And we, we have these things that try and sneak in. He's like, those are the things I hate. I hate that, 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 that uh, teaching that would lead away. And he says to the Ephesians, good on you for discovering it. Good on you for standing against it. But you notice what he doesn't say? And I love this. He doesn't say, I hate the Nicolaitans. He doesn't, doesn't hate the person. Never has, never will. Outside of the church, inside of the church, it didn't matter for God so loves the world. For God so loves you, for God so loves me. You know, sometimes that's where the church can get it wrong. We end up hating the person instead of just hating the deed. Why does he hate the deed so much? He knows that those deeds, they lead to death, death of relationships, death in the, in the body of the church, death in the physical body, de- death, uh, even spiritual death in our lives. And that's what he, he, he explains to them. That this is something that he, that he hates. And then he goes on to say, too, you've examined the claims of those who say they're apostles and found that they are not. He says there's people coming in. They claim to be the experts. They claim to be the messengers of God. And he's like, you dug in to find out if they were telling the truth. And and you found out that a lot of them were liars. He said, you didn't just accept everything at face value. You didn't just simply um, uh, grab onto this thing of blind faith. Oh, if somebody famous said it, then I believe it. 
You know, that, that, that there was this encouragement or commendation for those who's like, I'm not just going to trust what experts say. The experts in religion or experts in anything. I'm not, I'm not just going to simply trust. I'm going to dig in for myself. I want to know the truth. Paul wrote in Acts, I actually, I don't, Paul commended the, the Bereans in Acts 16. Luke wrote about it, Acts 17, sorry. And he said, the Bereans, they heard Paul, Paul, the writer of the New Testament, preaching, teaching the word. And you know what they went? And they was like, well, hey, Paul's uh, an expert in, in all this stuff, but we're going to go home and study the scriptures for ourselves. And he's like, yes, way to go. And I would encourage you to do the same. Would you go home? Would you dig into the word for yourself in things where, you know, there's expert opinions on things? Would you dig in and find out what truth really states? Because guess what? That's something that God says, hey, here's an A uh, for, the, for the test. You know, as a result of doing all of these good things, you know, they were, they were faithful in persecution and going through tough stuff, and they weren't giving up on any of that, and they were doing all of this. They were exposing things that weren't true, and they were hating what God hated and loving who God loved, and they're doing all of this. He says that as a result of doing all of that, they were suffering And as a result of that suffering, they said, we're still not quitting. And he's like, and even for that, let me give you a commendation. And he got all of these A's on their report card, you know, and, uh, but then he comes to that warning, you know, it was always that note on the report card where the teacher would like that area of improvement. Well, here's Jesus area of improvement for this, for this um, gathering of Jesus followers in Ephesus, kind of like a, a warning as well. You know, the warnings that we would think, you know, you look at it and go, oh, this is the negative, but it's not. It's actually a positive, just like all of the other positives that Jesus has told them. Because think about it this way. The fact that he corrects them proves his love for them. The writer of Hebrews said it just flat out in Hebrews 12, verse 5 and 6. And he says, have you forgotten the encouraging words God spoke to you as his children? He's reminding them, you're children of God. And he said, my child, don't make light of the Lord's discipline. And don't give up when he corrects you. Don't, don't be like, you know, I don't like that correction. I'm going to leave home. You know, <laughs> like sometimes teenagers do. Teenagers, if your parents correct you, just said that reminder that they love you, then that's why they do it. He says this in verse 6. For the Lord disciplines those he loves. Man, when God's discipline is on our lives, it's because he loves us. As a perfect heavenly father, it's like, I don't want you getting hurt. Let me help you direct you to the path. Let me help get you to the spot where you should be. He punishes each one that he accepts as his child. If you've had the chastening of, you know, the discipline of the Lord in your life, that's good news for you. That means you are his child. And in Revelation chapter 2, verse 4, here, here's, that, here's that, that little rod of correction for this group of Jesus followers. He says this in verse four. He says, I have this complaint against you. He's doing all this great stuff. He says, but you don't get an A on this one. He says this, you don't love me or each other as you did at first. And then verse five, he says to them, warns them, corrects them. Hey, look how far you've fallen. Just, just remember where you came from. Remember what it was like in the beginning. He says, turn back to me and do the works that you did at first. Because if you don't repent, I'm going to come and remove your lampstand from its place, or I'm going to remove, you know, the, the, the relevance that you have in the, in, uh, and the light that you have in the world uh, and, uh, from its place among the churches, he says. You know, he, he just simply says to them, you're doing all the right things. You're still doing the right things, but you're no longer doing it with the right motivation. And I've read this so many times, and it seems like every time it, it still hits my heart that there's those ways we can be doing the right things, and yet, the motivation for doing them isn't right. And he brings that back around saying it's got to come out of that heart of love or you won't be, you won't actually be doing what I've asked you to do. So he reminds them three things. They're all ours. He reminds them of where they came from. Then he challenges them to repent, 
which is changing of the mind, like we said, for the better. And it's like allowing his word right now just to say, God, I was wrong. You know better. Allowing his word to change, to renovate our mindset and change and transform our lives. And then he commands them to redo what they did in the beginning. Redo what they did in the beginning. Uh, last week, I listened to a message from my brother-in-law, Jamie Sure. He speaks over at the Dwelling Place in, in uh, Springville. And you can find it online as well. I, I would totally encourage uh, you to, if you got some time, to listen to that message. Because he, he just talks about how when we first um, were discovered, like when we first discovered God, it wasn't that, that idea that that's where it would end. That you said a prayer and now you're good. He says, but you would go on discovering him. That he pursued you and saved you. And then from here on in, we would continue to pursue him. You know, think about it like a wedding, you know, like a marriage. Uh, my, my niece is getting married uh, tomorrow, actually. And when you're watching this, it'll actually have been a couple days ago. But, you know, at a wedding, it's not about, oh, we did the day and then, then we signed the paperwork and now we're married. Marriage is like, uh, that might be the, you know, the start of the official marriage. But from then on, it is like that growing in our love for one another for the, the, the developing of that relationship and, and choosing to love when we don't feel like it to build that, build that relationship. And that's the same thing with us and the Lord. Marriage is a picture of the relationship that we have with him, that we would continue walking along that path, knowing him, growing in the love that we have for him, realizing the love that he has for us, being in awe of who he is and how amazing he truly is. And then finally, you know, to that challenge was for them. Keep doing, keep doing what you're doing, but do it in love and not just the feelings of love. Not, not like because you feel like it or because you're like, oh, these are the feelings. Paul uh, wrote about what love really is to the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians 13. It's those famous words from a wedding, but I pray that they just touch our hearts again afresh. He says this, love is patient. Love chooses to be patient. May I remind you that love chooses to be kind. You know, he says that love, he says it chooses not to be jealous. It's not boastful. It chooses not to be rude. Love does not demand its own way. It's not irritable. It keeps no record of being wronged. It doesn't hold a grudge. It's not love. Love, he says, it doesn't rejoice about injustice, but love rejoices when the truth wins out. Love's a truth seeker. That that pursuit of truth is is an aspect and an element of love. And then it says in verse seven, love never gives up. Love never loses faith. Love is always hopeful. Love endures through every circumstance. Love never fails. And Paul reminded them earlier in that chapter. He says, you know, if you gave everything, he says, if I gave everything to the poor, he says, even if I sacrifice my body to be burned for someone else, he says, he says, I could boast about it. But if I didn't love others, he says, I have nothing. So it doesn't matter if the deeds are all done. We could add up the list of, wow, look at how I did on all these. He says, if it didn't come out of love, it's nothing. It's nothing. You know, that greatest commandment that Jesus gave was to love one another as he loves us. To love one another as he loves us. And this was the reminder to the church of Ephesus. And I believe it's just as pertinent to us today that we would be reminded that no matter what we do for him, that it needs to be done out of love for him. That we would... Love him by loving others, truly loving others, truly loving others. And so to close, kind of cap this off, and you know, I encourage you just to allow Holy Spirit to continue to speak to your heart and your life, you know, over the rest of this day. But what can we learn from the report card of the church to Ephesus? 
Well, I think we end it with that verse that Jesus says to them in Revelation 2, verse 7. Anyone, anyone, you, myself, anyone with ears to hear, let them hear. Let them hear. What, um, and, and listen to the Spirit and understand what the Spirit is saying to the churches. You know, to everyone who's victorious, he says, I'll give fruit from the tree of life in the paradise of God. To the one who trusts, the one who holds on to their trust in Christ, no matter what. He says, guess what? You guys get the fruit again from the tree of life. That eternity that we have with him, that promise, it is to those who are victorious, to those who hold on. Today, maybe you're, you know, watching and I would ask, you know, how would we score on the report card? What are the things we can learn? I would say maybe there's a few things to consider. Number one, first, you know, is, is whatever I'm doing here, am I doing it out of love for him? How would, I, how would you score yourself on this? How do you think he would score you on that? Am I still pursuing the relationship with him? Or have I been caught up busy and just doing stuff for him, hoping that, you know, he's happy? Second, you know, are we loving what he loves and are we hating what he hates? Or have we allowed culture and other things to change those things in us? Are we loving what he loves and are we hating what he hates? And then third, do we have ears to hear what he's saying to us? Do we truly have ears to hear and listen to what he's saying to us? How would, you, how would you score yourself? How do you think he would score you on your report card? And, and, and it's, it's not about a, you know, a pass-fail type of thing. Because to, to those watching, maybe you don't know the Lord and you, know, you watch this all the way to this point. <laughs> Grateful for that. But the idea behind Christianity is not this thing of where I do good things and God marks it. And if I get a good enough grade, he lets me in. It's not it at all. Other religions, that's their whole thing. What can I do to get to God? But Christianity is different. It's unique, and it's one thought is this, that the God of the universe wasn't asking men to try and get up towards him, to achieve perfection or to be the best possible person you can be. None of that. He looked at a broken world that he had created in perfection, that had turned from that perfection and was now profoundly broken, irreparable on their own. And he said, you know what? You can't get to me. There's no way back, but I can come to you. And he came in the body of Jesus Christ, born in that manger, you know, hung on that cross, placed in that tomb. And he left all three of those behind. He rose from the dead, taking our sins upon him, conquering them and forgiving us and giving us the chance for eternal life with him simply if we would trust him. That's how you get into this. Family, it's how you get into God's good graces. It's to simply trust that what he's done for you was enough. So I encourage you, you know, it doesn't require a prayer. It just requires you talking to him, telling him, you know, God, I, I know I'm a sinner. I know on the inside I'm broken and, I, and I've tried to fix myself and I can't. God, would you rescue me? Would you save me? God, I, I trust you that you're the only one who can do it. And I trust the remainder of my life and my eternity into your hands. And then to follow him, to follow him with all your heart and soul, mind and strength. Thank you for the chance to uh, share with you today. My prayer today at the end of this, and maybe it's yours, is investigate my heart, Lord. Investigate my heart. Because I want to be faithful and I want to be victorious. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you. Thanks for your word. It's living, it's powerful. Just picture it speaking to those people in Ephesus as they had a chance to hear it read to them. As they study it, it speaks to me. 
I hear your voice. I'm grateful for it. Pray for my friends watching today, listening today. God, would you speak to them? Would they have that same sense of your voice speaking to their hearts? God, would you help us to set our minds on your truth, (laughs) to set our, our minds on the voice of your spirit, that as a result, we'd be changed. God, that our minds would be changed, that our lives would reflect that, that we'd courageously live out our lives on this earth for your kingdom and for your glory. Because you deserve it, Father. You're amazing. Truly are amazing. Thanks for loving me. I ask this in your name. Amen. Well, I hope uh, today that you got a little a little bit to think about. And I would hope that you take some time to, with a few others, just to go through some of these questions that we always leave you with at the end, just to be able to dig down a little deeper. God, what are you, what are you desiring to do in my life? So here they are. Number one, what jumped out at you today? What did you hear? You're like, oh, man, I just haven't thought of it that way. I need to dig in. Would you dig in and see? Second, do you feel like you can relate to the church in Ephesus in some ways? You feel like as we were talking about some of those things, you're like, yeah, that, that would probably be on my report card. I, I don't know how I would have scored. You know, third, have you lost your first love in serving him to the Jesus followers? You feel like you've possibly lost your first love. And I have a feeling that's kind of gone on around us in the last little while. Has that gone missing? And then finally, how do you think Jesus wants us to love those around us? We know how the world wants claims that, uh, that, that people should be loving and, and what that looks like. But what do you think Jesus wants from us and for us in the way that we love other people? And what do you think that looks like? And so I uh, hope that it helps. I hope that that continues to encourage you. Uh, I, again, as always, encourage you to spend time in his word uh, for yourself, just allowing him to speak to you and then to share that with others. Thanks for being in the church. Thanks for being part of the Kingsway family. Know that I love you guys, even though I don't always get to see you. And uh, look forward to uh, seeing you again soon, whether that's here or uh, in eternity. Till then, have a fantastic week.